0: The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. Uh, Ephesians 5, verse 25, and let's read together there. It says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Our theme this year is, I will build my church. What a wonderful, wonderful promise from our Lord. And he says here that he loves the church and he gave himself for it. Verse 26, that he, Jesus, might sanctify and cleanse it with a washing of water by the word, that he might present it, the church, to himself, a glorious church. Now, I want you to stop and think, we read over that and we even sing that song, a glorious church without spot or a wrinkle. What does glorious mean there? Do you have an idea? That's good. Very special. Any other ideas? Fantastic. Fantastic. That's in the Greek. Right there. Yeah, awesome. It means beautiful. Beautiful. Um, with splendor. Now think about that. Now you know you, and I know me. And uh, sometimes my, my Christian life isn't as beautiful as it ought to be. And it's not very, uh, you know, it, it isn't full of splendor. But he says he wants to present to himself a church, which remember we learned on Sunday. A church, the church is made up of you, us, me, and so he says he wants to present to himself a church, and he's going to do this, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that, um, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Now imagine that! Imagine that! I mean, it's just amazing that Jesus is going to do that with us that he's making us into that and one day we're going to stand in his presence completely glorified and without spot or wrinkle what a day that's going to be that's uh that's going to be amazing verse 28 so ought men he goes back to the illustration or to the admonition to men so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies he that loveth his wife loveth himself because uh, the Bible says that they're they're one together, and he says, "Hey guys, make sure that you're loving your, your wife, because it, when you love them, you're loving yourself." I mean, this this is this is uh, this is the picture that's going on there. Verse twenty nine: For no man ever hated yet hated his own flesh, right? There's not a man. That, that wants to inflict pain upon himself, wants to go without. There's not one. God says it. There's not, a, not a, a man ever yet that hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. But nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. I want you to think about that. Verse number 34, we are members of his body, of Christ's body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Let's take a moment and pray and ask God to open this up to us tonight. Father, thank you for uh, the time to pray and fellowship and prayer together, uh, that we can share burdens and then share them with you. Thank you for the privilege of coming into your presence boldly uh, because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us at the cross. Thank you for the privilege to open up your word, and we ask that you would teach us, be our guide tonight, and encourage each heart that's here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said a moment ago, Ephesians chapter one through three really deals with salvation, it deals with the doctrine of salvation. For by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man uh, should boast. And it deals with our position in Christ. So who you are in Christ, who you really are, your identity, in Christ. It deals with that. And as he comes to chapter number four, Paul uh, declares to the Ephesian believers, he says, I want you to know it's not just a doctrine that you need to understand and some teaching that you need to receive about who you are in Christ. I want you now to go practice this on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I want you to practice this wherever you go. I want you to live out these truths in a practical way. Why? Because God's truth was never meant to just be something that is kind of intellectual and something that stays in a college somewhere or Says in a classroom somewhere. It was meant to be practiced in our everyday life. It was intended to be. And God's word is intensely practical. So as we come into this, chapter number 4, verse number 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, I beg you that you walk worthy. I, I want you to walk in balance with this, this calling that you've received. This calling to be like Christ, this calling to to this position in Christ, I want you to walk in balance with it. And then he goes on to challenge us in this way. I want you, first of all, I want you to be in unity with one another within the body of Christ. Now sometimes that's a challenge, but he says, this is what I want this, I want this to be the case, I want you to walk in unity within the body of Christ, and some of our our, our memory passage will focus on this, and then he says, I want you to make sure as you interact within the body, that you interact with proper function, that you you, uh, you do it with order, and that you do it in a right way, and he deals with some of that going down into verses number 11 and following, down into verse number 16, he also helps us realize that the church of the living God helps to prevent us from being tossed uh, to and fro by every wind of doctrine that's out there. And by the way, there's a whole lot of winds of doctrine out there, aren't there? There's a lot, And and, and it seems like it's going to increase as the day goes on. And so God says the church, the body of Christ, is his answer to some of that and especially he says in verse number uh, 14 how that we, can, we don't have to be uh, as children tossed to and fro, but we can learn the truth and it can be spoken in love and we can grow up into Christ in all things and we can be uh, tighten it together as a body uh, in verse number 16. And then he tells us, listen, I want you to make sure that uh, you are living pu- uh, in purity as a church. As the body of Christ, I want you to make sure that you are living out a life that is putting off the old man and putting on the new man and that you're being filled with the Holy Spirit of God and that you're redeeming the time because the days are evil. And so, a lot of practical things. And then he gets down to the home. Uh, I believe it was Charles Spurgeon that said, uh, Who you are at home is who you really are. Now, isn't that a scary thought? <laughs> Because it, it, it seems magical. Once the door is closed, you know, no one else is watching, right? Right? And sometimes things that happen in the privacy of our homes are not God-honoring, but out in public around other believers, sometimes it, 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 it's a little bit easier to put on as if it's all good. And how much God wants us to be good at home, and he wants us to walk in purity at home, and he wants us to be in unity with our family at home, and he wants us to love at home. And he wants us to live out, in fact, uh, the, real, the real lab, testing lab of our Christianity is right within our home. Uh, I remember a pastor told me before I got married, he says, uh, I asked him, so what said, what's the number one thing I need to work on? He says, you need to get rid of selfishness, right? And, and, and as a guy, guys, you realize that that's very, very difficult. Um, because that's a battle. We we are self-centered. That's why Jesus had to tell guys in particular stop focusing on yourself. Love your wives. Be selfless. Be unconditional in your love. And so he he tells them within the the home life uh, of the body uh, in the body of Christ. I want you to there are to be roles. Uh, uh, to be followed for the wives and the husbands and the children. I I want the roles to be followed and and the wives are to unto um, be in submission to the unto um, the husbands, not as a doormat, but just in in the ranking that God provides and and they're on um, their equal heirs to Christ, which is something we need to remember that we're equal at the the foot of the cross. But he says within the home for good order, there needs to be someone who has to be in charge, and so I've given that charge to the man, and and and, and wives ought to be uh, be real. Famous thankful to God because when, when they uh, stand before the Lord, uh, their husbands are going to be the ones that, that, that take, the, uh, take the accountability for how they led in the home. And so he says, I want there to be order in the home. The, the wives are to respect the husbands and the, the, uh, to, uh, to follow the lead, but the husbands are to unconditionally love the wives. God gave to the, the wives and the husbands something that is beyond their ability without the Holy Spirit of God. A wife cannot respect her husband unconditionally, and without the Holy Spirit of God, a husband cannot love his wife unconditionally. And then he gets into chapter number six, and he deals with the fact that the children are to be taught to obey their parents. Why? Because as we teach our children to obey uh, us as their parents, we are teaching them to obey God. And that's highly important and something uh, that is desperately missing in our society, is it not? Because we have taught we've taught, well, you know, it's all right, we're just their friends, and, you know, it, to be compl- uh, you know, permissive to them, and it hasn't worked out. It hasn't worked out at all, and it behooves us as Christian parents to follow what God is saying. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And by the way, grandparents, you can encourage your grandchildren in their obedience to their parents. Boy, it's a big help. It is a big help when grandparents come along and say, listen to your mom and dad. It's a huge help. Uh, it's also a huge distraction to parenting when grandparents don't help out in that way. So don't think just because your children are grown and gone that you don't have a part. You have a huge opportunity and to encourage the young and the teenagers to obey their parents and to follow them in that way because it's right to do. And so this is the context in which we find this passage of Scripture written to, to husbands uh, to love their 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 wives, and God uses the illustration uh, of the church, or He is He is helping us to understand how that the marriage relationship and and Christ and the church, those two pictures, those two relationships coor, uh, coordinate uh, together. And so, let's deal with this tonight. Marriage is a beautiful picture of Christ in the church. And that's what God wants our marriages, that he wants them to be uh, harmonious, he wants them to be excellent, he wants them to be a, a beautiful picture of that. And so it behooves us as, uh, as Christian marriages to say, by God's grace, we want our marriage to be a picture of what Christ is, is to the church. And we want it to be a picture to all those that watch and watch our marriage. So look at verse number 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. Notice how he loved the church. He gave himself for it. He died for it. And by his death, he purchased it so that he could do what? Sanctify it. And so that he could cleanse it. Aren't you thankful that Jesus does not just say, believe on me, and then you're on on your own. He doesn't say that to us. He goes, I'm going to work with you to sanctify you and cleanse you. Why is that important? Because I need set apart from this world. This world does nothing to help me. The dirt in my life, the things that do not unplease God, all they do is add problems into my life. They destroy my life. They destroy my thinking. They destroy my relationships. And so without Jesus Christ as the one who purchased us, coming into my life and through his word, cleaning all that stuff out and purifying and setting me apart to the unto the Father, uh, I'm in a big mess. And without that happening, there's no presenting to him a glorious church. In verse 27, that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle. So the process that you and I are in right now is a very, very wonderful process of the Lord constantly, day by day, setting me apart to, to himself and cleansing me by the word. That's why it's so important to be inside the word of God every single day because without it I have no way of I have no way of cleaning up I have no way of being cleansed. I have no way of being purified. I have no way of being prepared for that day when I'll stand before him. It is the word of God. Though it confronts me, though it sometimes goes against my grain, though sometimes it hurts, it's a confrontation to my flesh. The fact is, it is what is cleansing me, and it is his love that causes him to do that in my life. And then he's going to present me a beautiful us, a beautiful and pure bride. What a thought. And that's what he's going to do. And so he comes down to verse number 28 and says, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it. And here's where I want to deal with tonight. Even as the Lord. Even as the Lord. Now, here's the picture, guys. You and I, it's it's a rule of... Uh, of mankind, you and I love ourselves. Right? Not sold on that idea? No, we do. We do. And all the wives say amen, right? Uh, we, we do. We love ourselves. And God, God has, has stated a fact. This isn't up for a question. It's, it's a universal fact of humanity. Living men love themselves. And that's why it's so important that we deal with our self-centeredness if we're going to have a happy marriage and a successful marriage and a growing marriage, right? We have to deal with that. And uh, it happens when we get married and then when we have children, uh, God is confronting our self-centeredness. And so that's, that's what he's doing. So uh, he, he says here, guys, when you love yourself, you love your wife because you're one. Uh, One man put it this way, to hate one's wife is irrational as to hate one's own flesh, and as, on the other hand, men constantly nourish and cherish their flesh protecting it from hurt, seeking to heal it when, when hurt, and generally to promote its welfare and comfort, so ought husbands to act toward their wives. In this respective case, to the sharp eye of the apostle finds an analogy between the relation, uh, relation of the wife to the husband and that of the church to Christ. There's a beautiful picture here that's going on. He says, guys, make sure this is happening, but I want you to notice, here's your example. It's Jesus Christ. He nourishes and he cherishes the church always. And here's what I want to deal with tonight, that Jesus will always nourish and cherish us as as his church. My purpose is not to preach on husbands nourishing and cherishing. We can take an example from the Lord Jesus Christ tonight and practice that in this week. But the fact is, I want us to remember in this day of uncertainty, in this day of all sorts of craziness going on. Remember this. Jesus will always do this for you. He will always do it. You can count on this fact. He will not do, it, um, do this um, towards you. He will not demean you. He will not neglect you. He will not ridicule you. You know, sometimes in marriages, there will be that type of uh, action going on. The, the husband will ridicule the wife. You know, make jokes uh, at her expense. Uh, there'll be that type, of, that type of toxic environment. There'll be a mistreating or even abuse. I, I've been in some doctor's offices where you'll go in and it's kind of a startling poster uh, that says if, if, you're, if you're suffering abuse at home, call this number. Why? Because there's some marriages, there, there, there's abuse, there's problems and, and it's hard to get out of it, um, that situation. And, and, and you can mark it down that Jesus will never abuse us as his church, his bride. He'll never lie to his church. Isn't that a great thought? There's a lot of liars out there. Even within Christianity, there's liars. The Bible says that we're to put away lying. Why does he have to say that to Christians? Because sometimes we lie. Sometimes people get in a habit where it is a besetting sin, and as a believer, they lie and they lie and they lie. God says put away, but Jesus will never lie to his church. He'll never lie to his bride. He'll never neglect his bride. There will never be a day where Jesus neglects us as his bride. Isn't that wonderful? And so he will always, on the other hand, what is said here, what we as husbands should aspire to, he will always nourish and cherish us. So let's break that down tonight. He will nourish you. This idea of nourish is to sustain, to provide nourishment. Um, most of you had some nourishment on the way in. I had a chicken sandwich before um, before church tonight. It was nourishing. My wife had a salad. It was nourishing. It was good. It helped and it, it, it fed. And the idea of this is to sustain with nourishment or with food. And that is, is really speaking of what we take in. It's not Nourishment is what uh, surrounds us, or an external idea. It's really what we take inside. And so Jesus says here that he always, as the Lord of the church, he always nourishes his church. Just like a husband ought to always nourish his wife. Uh, Nourishing is this idea of the food, what we take in, and especially here in this context, spiritual food. Spiritual food, what what Jesus gives to us to nourish us internally in our spirit. I remember when we began parenting and uh, we had our first child, Jack. I remember my wife had a green little notebook. I think it had a turtle on the front. I could be wrong about that, but uh, they uh, they as a as a new mom, she was meticulous in keeping records of when she fed the children, and she did this all the way through with all of them, it it switched over to apps at some point. And, uh, but she she was meticulous in, in feeding. She uh, ran a schedule with them, and that way um, that way we didn't, uh, you know it just it, it it made it a little bit easier to uh, to make a sched, uh, schedule for the rest of the family if she had the kids scheduled in their feeding and so on. But she had this green notebook where she was just meticulous in in marking that down. Why? Because she was concerned. Because as a mom, she wanted to make sure that her child, her little baby, was nourished and nourished properly, fully, so that when uh, he would cry, she would know, well, he got fully fed at this point, so it must be something else. She wanted to make sure that she was, uh, he was nourished. And that's the idea here, uh, making certain that they're full, making certain that they're satisfied, they're taken care of. And what Jesus says to us, as the Lord of the church, he nourishes us. He nourishes us. He gives us what we need. He gives us what is, what is required in order for us to have the nutrients, the spiritual nutrients that we need to face everything that we're going to face in any given day. This word is used here and also in Ephesians 6 and verse number 4 where fathers, you and I, are told to um, raise our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. So what are we to give our children? What he gives to me, I'm to give to my children. Isn't that a great thought? So he, he is nourishing me and I'm in turn to give that to those that God has given me to bring up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Jesus is your provider. He is the one who communicates his truth, his word, which sustains us in life. Without it, there is no there is no. Uh, spiritual life. There is no spiritual sustenance. What did he say when he, was, when he was in temptation? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Father. We need this, and it is what is given to us. And so it is. First Peter that says, uh, as newborn babes, comma, desire the sincere milk of the word. Do you realize that it is a choice for you and I to refuse the nourishment that Jesus gives us. Let me put it to you uh, this way. To be malnourished in my spiritual life is my choice. Because Jesus will always nourish me. So here's the a, here's a thing where it's wildly convicting to me. The times where I am spiritually famished or I'm dry is not Jesus' fault. He will always nourish. He will always nourish. That's his promise. That's what he does. That's a statement of fact there in verse number 29. He is always there with his word to give it to me. I must receive it from him. I must be hungering for it. Those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, what does the Bible say? They'll be filled. They'll be filled. They'll be nourished. Jeremiah 15 and verse number 16, thy words were found and I did eat them and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Boy, I enjoyed it. Mm, that was good. And when we get to the point where we begin to lose that, that, that enjoyment of the word of God, that's a problem. We need to go back into our relationship with him. Lord, I, I'm, not, I'm not receiving the nutrients that I know you're giving. Where, where's the problem? Is it some sin? Have I been lured by something? Have I, have I taken on a burden that you really want to bear for me? Have you, have you found that to be the case sometimes where, where you're under the burden of something and, and it, it distracts you from receiving from the Lord? Yeah, I have. And he's the one that told us to cast all of our burdens on him for he careth for us. So if I give that burden to him, I could probably get some nourishment. Right, And so the idea there is that I need to be seeking that nourishment. I need to be allowing that to come into my life. Second uh, Peter 1 and verse number 3 and 4, it tells us that we are given all things that pertain to life and godliness. And those things are those promises of God, the, the nourishments of God that will help us to go on our way and give us the strength to continue on our way. I'm reminded that Peter was told by Jesus on the seashore of Galilee that he was to go and feed the sheep who's to feed the lambs. What was he to do? He was going to take the nourishment that God gave him and give it to the church and give it to the, the, the sheep of, uh, of Christ's pasture and feed them with spiritual manna, feed them with the nourishment that is the job of the, of the pastor, of the, of the preacher. In 1 Peter 5, and verses 1 through 3, um, Peter again reiterates that. Feed the flock of God which is among you. Take the word of God and give it to them. Give them the nourishment of God's word. Help them to understand it. Take the oversight, but feed them the word of God. Open it up. It behooves us as a church to always be in our place and to be receiving the word of God and be allowing it to come into our lives. The importance of that is, uh, cannot be understated. Uh, under, uh, so I have a question for us tonight as we've gathered here on a Wednesday night. Are you enjoying the nourishment from Christ? Are you enjoying nourishment from Christ? This week, has there been a a time where Jesus has nourished you and you knew it? Where what he gave you was enough to sustain you through the ups and downs in the crazy world we're living in right now? To sustain you as you went to work and You went through the struggles and the the fears of the battles and the the uncertainties that go on at work or the the person that's being a a pain at work? Has there been a time this week where you've received that nourishment and you're like, ah, that's good enough for me to run on today? Oh, Jesus wants to do that in our lives. My soul melteth for heaviness. Strengthen me, thou me, according to thy word, the psalmist said strengthen me, give me that nourishment. Job 4 and verse 4, thy words have upholden him that was falling and thou hast strengthened the feeble knees. What was it? It was a word that gave the strength. It was a word that gave the nourishment that is needed. If you're struggling, and I get to the point sometimes I don't, I'll get going in, 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 in the day and I don't eat as well as I should. My wife gets on me about that. And so I'll get to the end of the day and I feel like, oh. Well, she goes, what did you eat? Well, I had an uh, apple in the morning. Well, you didn't eat, you didn't nourish yourself. No wonder you're feeling this way. You know, you get to the point in your spiritual life where you, don't, you just feel like, I don't have to get up and go. I, I, I'm just discouraged by everything I see and I'm getting frustrated and, boy, it's hard to forgive and it's hard to have a joyful spirit in the Lord and I'm not being nourished. Not letting the, the word into my heart. Uh, It was Austin Miles that wrote the hymn. We don't sing it very often, but I Come to the Garden Alone. you familiar with that? Uh, He was sitting in a dark room, and, and he began to ponder the story of John chapter 20 where Jesus met Mary after his resurrection. And he begins to speak to her. Imagine that moment. He begins to speak to her, and she replies back, Rabboni. And she recognized who he was. Can you imagine how nourished her heart was in that moment? But the whole song, if you notice, the whole song focuses on the words of Jesus. Him speaking into our heart. I come into the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ears. The Son of God discloses. The second verse. He speaks to me And the sound of his voice is so sweet, the birds hush their singing. And the melody that he gave to me within my heart is ringing. I'd stay in the garden with him, though the night around me be falling. But he bids me go through the voice of woe. His voice to me is calling. In each verse, he speaks of the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ, which we hear in his word. Be still and know that I am God. And so he concludes with the chorus, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. And the joys we share as we tarry there, none other can ever know. Wow. And that is what Jesus delights to do for us. He's always nourishing us. It's whether I'm receiving the nourishment. Uh, I remember, again, to just liken it to, to babies in hospitals and so on. I remember uh, the, the nurse that would go around and make sure that the babies were feeding. And if they weren't, you'd stay in the hospital another couple days until that was taken care of. Why? Because it was a problem if they weren't feeding. God told us as newborn babes, Desire the sincere milk of the word. You have to, you have to allow the appetite to be there. You have to make a choice to receive the nourishment in your life. But Jesus, this is the comfort, Jesus is always nourishing us as his church. And I hope he's nourishing your heart tonight as his church. But notice he will always cherish us. He says uh, that in there, but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church, even as the Lord the church, this idea of, of cherishes, uh really the, the oldest definition of the word had the idea to warm, to bring warmth to. and it's, uh, Whereas nourishing has the idea of what we intake as food, what gives us uh, uh, internal sustenance, this has the idea of what is around us, uh, giving us warmth and, and, and comfort around us externally. And so this is uh, on the part of Christ to have Uh, concern and compassion and responds to our needs and responds to our situation it has the idea of of a feeling and an emotional so uh, an emotional response so Jesus is is that towards us where where he sees our situation he sees our burden and he is there to care and to warm our hearts and to to, uh, to treat us with tenderness and with affection it again, is a, not a commonly used word throughout the, the, uh, the New Testament. It's used here and also over in First Thessalonians two and verse number seven, where Paul says this, "But we were gentle among you even as a nurse cherisheth her, uh, her children." The idea there of, uh, of the Paul as a preacher saying, hey, we didn't come in and as bull in the china shop deal with your spiritual needs. We uh, cared for you tenderly. We cared for you in a a tender way. Uh, I was, uh, a couple weeks back, I was taking um, our children out to the van after an evening service, and um, when five go into a church building, things get lost. Uh, it, it seems like every every day we, uh, every church service, we go home with at least without one shoe and a coat and uh, toys, and we'll be driving out the parking lot. Oh, I forgot this, and we got to get this. Uh, and, and the worst thing is if we lose uh, Savannah's bunny. And I have driven back to church for that bunny because there is no rest at night without the bunny. And so, anyway, I remember uh, Sierra had lost her coat somewhere in the church. And because it was late and we wanted to get out, I grabbed my coat. It was cold out. And I grabbed my coat took it off I was wearing a suit jacket I grabbed my external coat and I wrapped it around her and I brought her out and she sat she thought that was the coolest thing that she got to to ride home in uh, with my coat uh, wrapped around her but that is the idea of cherishing Jesus wrapping his arms around us by the way husbands sometimes our wives are get stirred up emotionally and are struggling fearful even through this time uh, Jesus hugs us and the importance of learning the power of a hug and embracing and caring and loving in that way and so he wraps his arms around us that's the picture he shelters us from the cold of this world which is very cold and there's been two times where I've heard people say uh, one on the video on Sunday uh, about the, the climate in China towards Christianity is like a bitter winter. Uh, we had a politician in our own country say warn of a coming bitter winter, not a physical, but a but a bitter winter. Do you understand? Jesus is there to wrap our arms around, uh, wrap His arms around us through those times, through those bitter winters, and whatever happens to us as a church. We can mark it down that Jesus, though husbands, sometimes we don't always do what we ought to do, our Lord is the example, and he will always cherish us. He will always be there to wrap his arms around. You can be confident in that. He consistently does that. That's the tense of the, of the, of the language there. He is consistently, on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment uh, on basis, doing that in, in the life of his church. And he does it with excellence. He doesn't do it haphazardly. He does it with excellence. And so do you see Jesus right now as the one who is cherishing you? Do you see him right now as the one who is caring for you in that way, who is wrapping his arms? Do you feel the warmth of his, his arms around you? Do, you? do you sense him feeling your infirmities uh, comforting you in tribulation? Do you sense that he is providing you with peace? That all these things, his arms wrapping around you, do you sense that he is longing to see you and to show you what he has been preparing for you I I can't wait till that day, but he told his disciples, hey, I'm going away, and if I go away, I will prepare a place for you, and when I've done that, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to receive you to myself. Mm. Fanny Crosby, and just going along with some hymns tonight that came to mind as I was preparing this. Fanny Crosby wrote a a hymn um, for a man uh, by the name of uh, Dowen, Howard Dowen. William Howard Doan, he was getting ready to get on a train to go to Cincinnati, Ohio uh, to uh, preach or lead in a Sunday school convention for children. And he really wanted a song, and so he and and Fanny Crosby worked together, but he wanted a song. They were at his his home, and and they began to sit down and write out the song. And he had the title, but he did not have the song. And the title was Safe in the Arms of Jesus. You, You recognize that song? Safe in the arms of Jesus. Sometimes we sing it at funerals, but it was written for a Sunday school convention. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Uh, So anyway, they sat down, and in 40 minutes they wrote the song. And the song goes like this, safe in the arms of Jesus, safe on his gentle breast. There by his love or shaded, sweetly my soul doth rest. Hark, his a song of heaven, born in the sweetest voice, echoed by saints in spirit, making my heart rejoice. The tenderness of that song captures the cherishing of our Lord. That, that's where he wants me, right here. He wants me close. And that's what he does. Now, how many times do we push away from that? How many times do we go our own way and, and do our own thing, but the shepherd always wants us in close? He wants to guide us. He wants us in close. And so my goal tonight is to encourage you with the fact that I don't know what, what these days hold for the church, but the fact is we can, we can count on our Savior, the Lord of the church, the head of the church, the head of this body, to always nourish us, give us the spiritual manna that we need. We'll just receive it. And always be there to embrace us and to cherish us and shelter us from the cold and the bitterness of this, this awful world in which we live that we're traveling through and that we are left here to be a light to. He's there strapping his arms around. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Let's chew on that for the rest of this week. Would you do that? Let's pray and ask God to help us with that. Thank you, Father, for just the beautiful imagery of your nourishment and your cherishing in our lives. And I pray that you would even help the disturbed hearts that may be present tonight uh, to find calm in what you always will do in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.